Appamada's programmes and facilities are supported through your generosity. Your support really does make a huge difference. You'll find a link for contributions on the website at appamada.org forward slash contribute. Thank you so much. So we're going to continue with our teaching theme of uh, transmission this morning. <clears throat> Everybody hear me okay? Yeah, head nods. <clears throat> As Joel introduced us to it yesterday, and I'll pick it up here. <clears throat> and when we put out the uh, communication about this intensive and uh, said the topic was transmission, maybe being in a bit in a hurry, didn't explain anything about what we were going to talk about in the topic. And it produced some reactions from people, uh, emails and questions and phone calls about the topic and its meaning. And uh, in some ways, not, not the best reactions. Um, with all that was going on with Flint and his Dharma transmission, it seemed like uh, one of the themes of the concerns we got was, you know, concern that we were going to be talking about the formal ceremony of Dharma transmission, the ceremonial process of Dharma transmission. But that's was not our intent. Um, the formal recognition of Dharma transmission is a lovely thing. It's very ceremonial. It's a ceremony to acknowledge and celebrate and honor essentially what's already happened, right? It's marking an occasion, but by the time there's a ceremony, the transmission's already occurred. It itself is not some magical bequest What we're really talking about is the transmission of nothing special. And with that said, you know, in every Zen writing, you'll, you'll hear it talked about that Zen is a special transmission outside of words and letters. <clears throat> but even Suzuki Roshi said, transmission is nothing special. Paradoxically, uh, what we, one of the things that's transmitted though is the ceremonial process, these things that look special, and the process of doing Dharma transmission. And Vicki Austin spent probably the better part of a year from San Francisco Zen Center helping Peg and Flint through this uh, kind of esoteric, elaborate, involved, ritualistic process. She transmitted that to them. But we're not talking about the ceremony. We're not talking about the formality. We're talking about the everyday. The everyday practicing together. 
practicing together with our Sangha, practicing together with our teachers. This is how the teaching is transmitted. So what is transmitted is, in a way, the practical. Zazen practice. Sit here. Bow to your seat before you sit. Turn clockwise. Bow and face, you know, bow to all of your spiritual friends that are practicing with you. You bow to the room. We explain in orientation to newcomers how to sit, how to handle their body, maybe starting with counting the breath. We transmit the seated meditation. And as I said, with the, with the bows, we transmit forms. How to light incense. We transmit ceremony. We'll be doing one here pretty shortly, right guys? <laughs> Maybe you've heard <laughs> with a head student exiting ceremony and these forms and containers that kind of um, help transform the participants. And it's all done warm hand to warm hand, as we say beyond all words and letters. These instructions keep bringing us back, keep pointing to the fact that um, what we're doing is not our ideas about it. It's not in the concepts that are written down, but it's transmitted through this student-teacher relationship, warm hand to warm hand. Zazen forms, ceremony, work practice. Over time, what we end up transmitting through the everyday, through the practical and nothing special, we transmit the fruit of practice, the four Brahma-viharas, the divine abodes, loving-kindness, compassion, sympathetic joy, and equanimity. That's what you're being handed when you're asked to bow this way, not that way. When you're asked to sit upright, when you're asked to train your mind in a certain way. When Joko tells you to label your thoughts, to inhabit the witnessing presence, to detach from small mind and egoic self. She's handing you equanimity, compassion, sympathetic joy. It's an amazing thing to be in front of someone and not be caught by your thoughts of them, to be joyful with where they are.
essentially what's being transmitted is big mind. But it looks like, hold your hands this way. That's where we start. Transmission is nothing special. Barry Magid, one of Joko's heirs, also a psychotherapist in New York, talks about how his Dharma transmission with Joko was basically in her office on the couch. She kind of looked over at him and said, yeah, you've got it now. <laughs> Sounds like she wasn't too big on the ritualistic ceremony. <laughs> but Barry also talks about, and, and when he was talking about his experience with transmission, that he had, a, he had a son later in life. And he was talking about his young son in New York and how one of their, his favorite Saturday morning activities was he knew where the best bagels were in New York, at least to his mind. And he would take his son with him to go eat bagels on Saturday morning, young son. And they would split a bagel. And he would show them how to prepare it. And they would share it together. He said, I transmit bagel to him. <laughs> It's like that. This is from Suzuki Roshi, March 26, 1967. To transmit the Buddha mind is to transmit our practice. There is then no small mind or small self. Our small self is included in our big self, or big mind. When small mind feels it is big mind, I think we are then troubled by its assertiveness. When the small mind finds its correct place in our big mind, then there is peace. Everything is our large mind. Transmission of this big mind occurs with no loss of even a speck of dust by the master and no gain of even a thread by the now awakened disciple. This is because everyone is already within his big self. To transmit the Buddha mind is to transmit our practice. That's how we started. So we transmit the practical. How to sit. How to bow. How to offer incense. But at the same time, we're transmitting big mind. The fruits of practice. The 
Brahma Viharas. And one doesn't follow the next. It's not an if you do it, you will get it. As Suzuki Roshi said, to take this posture is to assume the right state of mind. You already have it. When you take this posture, you already have the right state of mind. This mirrors Dogen Zenji's assertion of practice realization. A hyphenated word, practice realization. They're one thing in Dogen Zenji's mind. To practice our way is to have the right state of mind. The two are one thing. This is a collection of Suzuki Roshi little vignettes and stories when we're mirrored that says Zen is right here. When you see one leaf falling, you may say, oh, autumn is here. One leaf is not just one leaf. It means the whole autumn. Here you already understand the all-pervading power of your practice. Your practice covers everything. When you see one leaf, the whole of autumn is here. When you do this practice, you have it. We're not waiting for something else. <clears throat> Transmission is a funny and mysterious thing. <clears throat> As I was uh, working on this talk, that quote, that came from this book that happened to be lying on Peg's shelf. And in it, in the front, is a little flower and a handwritten note to Peg. True teaching partnerships are rare. Thank you for that gift. Flint. So we come here to practice looking for something maybe a little freedom or relief. The liberation we've heard about is possible. Some 
release from our own personal conditioning and bits of suffering. Maybe not just bits. <laughs> but usually from self-concern. This is where we start. Now, one of the key lessons, key teachings that's been transmitted to us is the Mahayana practice, the great vehicle. It's the shift from individual concern towards outward concern for all beings. Releasing our own individualistic egoic, conditioned concerns, and shifting our focus to all beings. If you understand the three marks of existence, uh, anicca, or impermanence, anatta, no-self, non-self, and dukkha, suffering, once you've been practicing a while, and those are no longer pointers for you, but you understand their reality, naturally, you're going to shift away from the egoic self, which really isn't there, anatta, towards looking around and seeing who's sitting beside you and maybe what they need. If there's no self, what's the point of focusing on your own awakening? This is the Mahayana shift, the great vehicle to carry you and all beings towards enlightenment. And as Barry Majid says, too often students get confused and, and end up saying, end up acting like they vow to save all beings minus one. They forget about themselves, but it includes you as well. So it's not leaving yourself behind. It's the vehicle for your liberation. D.T. Suzuki is one of the great translators of Chinese and Japanese Zen and Buddhist books into English and is responsible for uh, a lot of the flowering of Buddhism in the West. He lived from, the, uh, from 1870 into the 1960s and worked until he was 95. And most of the books that people were reading, you know, in the 60s in the United States came from his work. 
um, one of his, his students wrote about a conversation he had with Suzuki when he was young. Just off, offhand, off the cuff, when they were working on other things, I guess he got a, an inkling to throw a question out to him. And he said, what is your Kensho? Kensho is your, your enlightenment, your realization, your awakening. What is your Kensho? Suzuki replied, well, my Kensho is Shugo Mu Hensei Gando, which means living beings are numberless. I vow to save them. That was his enlightenment. The basis of all of his effort of 95 years was his vow. Sentient beings are numberless. I vow to save them. So it's that turn, it's that shift to understand that Ananta, no self. We're all in this together. There's no separation. This Bodhisattva vow to save all beings, the Mahayana practice, is what we transmit. The Bodhisattva vow has two aspects, becoming a Buddha and helping all beings become Buddhas. These two cannot be separated. We vow to become Buddhas with all, together with all beings. That is, we vow not to become a Buddha until all beings become Buddhas. We vow to stay in samsara on purpose to walk with all beings. This explains why Zen master Isan said he would be reborn as a water buffalo. For the water buffalo, which walks in the muddy water to help farmers grow rice, symbolizes the bodhisattva practice. The Bodhisattva vow is an essential point in Mahayana teachings and practice. All the verses and sutras discussed in this book are based on or related to this concept. This is from Living by Vow from Shahaka Okamura. So this vow carries us. It gives us direction, an orientating function, a beacon of why we're here. It's 
one of the main things that's passed down warm hand to warm hand. But it's done in the practical and in the everyday. In numerous different ways, in numerous different practice centers, languages, countries, monasteries, little pier and beam homes in central Austin, completely converted to pass it along warm hand to warm hand. So it lights up this little portion of 38th Street here. One of the other things that's continually transmitted in Zen practice are koans. Koans are public cases. That's a large part of how the teaching is transmitted in our lineages. They're vignettes of interactions, usually between a student and a teacher, that often captured a turning point in awakening. And it was something that was found to be universally helpful to those walking the path behind them. So people wrote them down and they passed them along, carried them forward, warm hand to warm hand. Nate and Jessica have been swimming in those recently, preparing to bring some of them forward in their ceremony tomorrow. They're valued in our lineage. They're so valued that there's literally thousands of them that have been collected. The Blue Cliff Record, the Denko Roku, the Mumon Khan or Gateless Gate, the Book of Serenity, Hidden Lamp. Records of transmission. not historical documents. They work on us now, this week in particular. <clears throat> Would you grab me a chant book? One of the most famous writings that's been handed down in the Zen tradition from Dogen Zenji is the Genjo Koan. Where he captures our practice beautifully in words. Actualizing the fundamental point 
To carry yourself forward and experience myriad things is delusion. That myriad things come forth and experience themselves is awakening. It's not about you. But who's going to experience the myriad things coming forth? To study the Buddha way is to study the self. To study the self is to forget the self. To forget the self is to be actualized by myriad things. Genjo Koan. <clears throat> Gen means to appear, to show up, to be in the present moment. Sometimes it's a noun for something that you can see now that you couldn't see before. to appear, to show up. Jo in Japanese means to become, to complete, to accomplish. So to appear, show up, to become, complete, and accomplish. Genjo. As a verb, the compound genjo means to manifest, to actualize, to appear and become is to manifest or actualize. And most people know what koan is, but koan is a public document placed on the desk in a government office. So it was in China, it was referred to as a law issued by the emperor, something that was, since it was a law from the emperor, something that you could not change, it was unquestionable. A public case, public document, the unchangeable. So these koans, these thousands of koans, public cases, public records, I think of them in the term, you know, in, in an American style term of um, famous rulings from high courts, Brown versus Board of Education, Roe v. Wade, right? It's a public case that everybody knows, can refer to, and gets what the thing was that was transmitted there. Genjo, to appear and become. Koan, 
This is our Bodhisattva vow in the practical, in everyday life, in showing the newcomer how to bow. In the grocery store, at the checkout line, Gen Jo, Ko Wang, how will you appear and become the public case? This is the Bodhisattva vow. Genjo, Koan. It's not the thousands of ones that were written down. How will you appear and become the public case? This is big mind. This is transmission. Every day, Genjo, Koan. When you walk out on the street and you meet someone, Genjo. Appear, become, koan. What will they take away from that interaction with you? What will your koan be? This is the transmission of big mind. Warm hand to warm hand. Don't worry so much about the ceremonies. Occasionally we do them to celebrate. Thank you. Last, I'll leave you with Suzuki Roshi. In the Lotus Sutra, the Buddha says to light up one corner, not the whole world. Just make it clear where you are. Light up the corner of your world. If we have some time for reflections or questions or discussion, if you like, Um, Jay would like to say something. Yes, go ahead, Jay. Oh, you're still muted. You should be unmuted now, are you? All right. You can't hear me. Yes. Okay. Good. Um, <laughs> I uh. It, the saying um, transmission is nothing special, right? I I get it, but I for me I think it's on the macro level. Um, transmission is nothing special, but on the micro level, I think it is special, and um, I think that it needs to be said that. The fact that something is coming from me and I am sending it to you and you're receiving it as I intended, that is magic, that is special. And then 
you know, like when we pass it on to others and they get it, that is special. It's like, you know, the game, the telephone game where you'd whisper in somebody's ears and they pass it on. And by the time it gets to the end, it is nothing like what you started with. That is the mutation, right? Of that transmission. So it, to me, on the micro, on the macro level, yes, it is nothing special. Just like one blood cell, you know, may not be something special in the big picture, but on the small level, that blood cell matters, right? So I think um, transmission is both is nothing special, and yet it is magic. And um, in the transmission, how? Uh, the question is, how are we transmitting it, right? Like, are we doing, uh, um, mm, how, do, how do I say it? Like a shadow of what was originally intended without the full body um, transmission experience. It's like, say like my mom used to, I don't know, she had a small stove and she would cut the ham in half in order to cook the, the, the ham and even though I have a, a big stove now that can hold a whole ham, I still cut it in half because that's the way generations have done it and it's always turned out good, but I've lost the, the meaning on the understanding, right? Because it wasn't transmitted to me why we were cutting the ham in half. So in the transmission, how are we transmitting? All of that is to me is special. So again, when we do the overlook earth is nothing special in the scope of the galaxy but when you come in it is special so i i think it needs to be said it is both so thank you thank you, oh, thank you for your excellent dharma talk <laughs> you're right you're right it's been very special to me it is special we hold it dear those things that are transmitted to us. You're still cutting the ham in half. Yes. If the nothing special is just a little bit of an admonition not to get too precious with it, right? Yeah. It's, it's also in the everyday and don't think it's, don't get caught up in magical thinking to think you can't do it and that it's something mysterious, just keep going. Yeah. You know, um, I just want to add, you know, it's like, I feel that I, this is, obviously, this is my thoughts, right? So please, even if I generalize, it's just still my thought um, that we move through the world, not realizing how powerful and credible we are, because we have made us nothing special, right? You know what I mean, right? Like, a butterfly flaps its wing, we get it and we see the magic of trees and we don't apply that magic to ourselves. Like you were saying earlier, you know, we save everybody else, but not ourselves. We've lost that vision, you know? And so it, if you look at the fact, the things that we've made um, ordinary is really extraordinary, right? That even that things are shooting off in my head and I'm speaking a language that you're absorbing and you're understanding me on some level. That is magic. That is a transmission, right? And, and so we are made up of 
uh, chemicals that if you put them together normally in a plate, they combust and it's yet we are, you know what I mean? We are special and it's that transmit and we've lost that. And it's a, a real learning, right? Uh, uh, an awakening to that magic that we are the, uh, the little bitty ripples, but we don't, you know, it's nothing special and yet it is. Yeah, it is. So. It's the great mystery. Yes. It's wondrous, isn't it? When you start to look at it. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. Whoops, didn't do that. <laughs> Rosemary. Oh, okay. Hey, hi, Todd. And um, thank you so much. That was great. Um, I, you know, I was really very, well, by, struck by two things in particular. Um, your call to each of us at the end um you know uh what you said genjo koan was so fierce and i i really appreciated your intensity and your passion um and your what i felt a call to each of us in our um regular little daily activities or whatever they are to um you know, to transmit, you know, um, this beautiful, these beautiful teachings. And the other was when, um, I'm not sure who it was that came up to hand you the chant book. I was just so moved by the reverence that you each had, I could see uh, in your bodies for the offering and the, I guess a little transmission as well, uh, the offering and the reception. So thank you for, for all of that. talking about Barry Madsen's story about his son and transmitting Babel. I was thinking about the transmission of potty training we're <laughs> completing right now. Um, um, it's a fraught experience for a little one who's learning how to go to the bathroom at the right times and sometimes the wrong times and how you respond in that moment. Genjo, how do I appear and show up when you know, he's in bed in the middle of the night and it's three o'clock in the morning and I'm tired and would be frustrated and he's upset. So just thinking like those little moments are boundless. And we have Joel. 
Todd, thank you for for your talk. I I was looking forward to it, and I, and I, there's a I, I've never been uh, diving, but I've heard stories from friends of a place off I think Belize or something, where you swim out over the edge of a reef, and and then there's a abyssal depth appears before you, and how what a powerful experience that is. And it, that's something that I've had listening to some Dharma talks before, and it happened again to me today, that when you were describing this process of Genjo Koan, manifesting the teachings through simple activity, through transmitting forms in the Zendo for people who have made themselves available to learn what those forms can mean, what they can take into their bodies. And then standing in the line at the grocery store, the, the challenge of, of being aware in your own body, in your own life, and, and, and doing that thing like, the, like Suzuki Roshi says, that, that the, the Buddha said, that every moment is an opportunity to Illumine, to be illuminated and to share that with at least a small part of the world. So I, I feel like I just swam over the edge, you know. Don't look down. <laughs> we have Shinev, Todd. Obviously. I don't see you, Todd. I'm coming back. Okay. <laughs> I was like, I can't talk to you if you're not there. Uh, let's see. So I, um, I've had some, some interesting experiences. Um, first of all, thank you and Joel for creating this time and space for us and holding us. Um, and you are certainly supporting our practice. Um, and that is deeply appreciated. Um, I've had some, so I was at Flint's intensive and a lot of stuff has been coming up for me, but yesterday and today during my sits, what's coming up is a lot of shadow, you know, it's my darkest parts. Um, I mean, maybe not the darkest, but like, you know, just, just a rising awareness, you know, that I have greed and I have hate and I have, you know, um, anger and I have jealousy and you know these things I don't usually notice about myself and they're not you know they're not I'm not assaulting anyone or anything but these things do come up and they come through me and um and and until I see them and integrate them they do that in ways I don't uh, I don't anticipate or understand so right now I'm really as Maria says failing forward is keep making missteps and then turning them into the practice, which is a great place to be. But um, in terms of what Joel just said about being illuminated and sharing a piece of that with the world, I think about that in those moments, those little moments of connection, which can go any way. You know, when you're talking to the person in, next to you in line in the grocery store, or you're calling to make a complaint about something, um, and um, I, 
for some reason, when Nate said that those little moments, that was an excellent example, Nate, are boundless, it really, uh, between what Nate said and Joel said, this is all coming together. Like, we are in those little moments. We show up. And how do we show up? And in terms of there, there being boundless, I think of it both vertically, if you, I mean, horizontally, if you will, in that the person next to me, you know, we share a, a, a moment and then they go and share a moment with someone else. And, um, and vertically, if you will, which is that Nate shares this moment with his child, which becomes part of his psychic DNA, his psychological DNA. I mean, that child will integrate that in ways that the child doesn't even know. And then those, that moment will come out of him with people down the road. So I just wanted to um, share those thoughts. It really is about the moments, I think. That's where we show up. And, and once the moment's gone, it's gone. Yeah, all the little things you're describing, the little shadow aspects that come up, you know, that we all have uh, can be a little overwhelming, especially at the beginning when we're going through the process of beginning to notice them more and more mm -hmm. and get the idea that that's all we are. <laughs> right. But it's just, it's just that our view is expound, expanding a bit. And we're, it's like when you, when you have a different car or something that you like or just got, and now you see them all over the road, right? Where did they all come? I've never noticed these before, right? <clears throat> it's not that the world's changed, it's just that your view changed. But that's a gift in that the faster you see it, uh, the less likely you are to act from it. There, I remember one of um, Brad Warner's students. You guys know Brad Warner. He's kind of a younger Zen teacher that's got a lot of kind of uh, interesting takes on, on Zen practice. He said one of his students, when studying the Bodhisattva vow, reworded it to save all beings from himself. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. To learn to catch his shadows quick enough that he wasn't imposing them on the world all the time. Mm -hmm. Right. It's a gift. It's a gift to see them. A painful one. Point always said that there was a reason this was a monastic practice. That it was done <laughs> in a small community in a monastery with a intimate group and cohort it's, you can't do this if you aren't loved enough you can't get through it thanks for sharing thank you and you were gonna say something i was remembering uh, yesterday when there was kind of a coffee disaster here on the tea table and the tablecloth uh, has a big brown spot. And I thought, okay, I'll take that home and I'll wash it and bring it back and there'll be a clean cloth. And thinking about, I did that feeling like I was saving other people from having to do it. 
but I also didn't give anybody else the chance to show up. And that's something I watch in myself, feeling like, oh, I'll just do it. I won't correct them because I don't want them to be ashamed. Or I'll just do it because I want to do something nice for somebody. But it's a practice for me to think about. It's about participation. It's about allowing other people their connection as well. Jessica, let's get the camera on you. <laughs> you know, I wanted to share this in our small group yesterday as well, that one of the most profound moments of the beginning stages of practice for me is when one time I was newly monitored and I forgot something major. I don't even remember what it was. <laughs> it was that big. And you just, just stepped right in and did it. And I felt so loved. I felt so cared for. Um, I feel I feel like the way that you offer things like that is easy for me to, to accept as love. All right, it is. 1037, is that what it says? So we're a little bit behind schedule. The cooks are going to need to start going to the kitchen for work practice. Um, why don't we take a 10 minute break? Actually, let's do let's do a five minute break. So we'll come back at our eight minute break. We'll come back at ten forty five for round numbers. The cooks can go to the kitchen if you like. The rest will take a little eight minute break, and we'll come back and return to sitting. Thank you so much for your practice and our attention. Appamada's programs and facilities are supported through your generosity. Your support really does make a huge difference. You'll find a link for contributions on the website at appamada.org forward slash contribute. Thank you so much.